Welcome to the FPS podcast series. This is podcast number 24, the Strategic Pricing Essentials. My name is Todd Hatherly, and I'm the Director of Programming for Federal Publication Seminars. And we're a leader in federal government contract training and professional development for the past 60 years. And every year, Federal Publication Seminars trains thousands of businesses, federal agencies, and individuals in the legal, regulatory, compliance, and accounting nuances found in the federal regulations through nationwide classroom, online, and in-house sessions. These podcasts are just really a small sampling of our important content. You, as a contracting professional, can expect from attending a FPS program. Whether you're in person or online, live or on demand, you cannot find another source with the breadth and depth of experience, knowledge, and content anywhere. So please visit us at fedpubseminars.com for more information. Joining me today is Marsha Lindquist. She's the president of Granite Leadership Strategies. She has more than 30 years of experience as a cost proposal manager and a contracts professional. Ms. Lindquist is a fellow with the APMP, which is the Association of Proposal Management Professionals, as well as NCMA, which is National Contract Management Association. Marsha, it's good to be with you today, and uh, we're going to start talking about strategic pricing essentials. How are you? Oh, this is great. One of my favorite subjects on the whole planet. The word strategy is used a lot these days, and what is strategic pricing as it relates to government contracting? Strategic pricing and strategy are bantered about a lot these days, but strategic pricing is a process that starts with any organization's overall business plan. What you incorporate into your specific opportunity pricing is first based on your overall company philosophy. You know, without having a company philosophy and business plan as a benchmark, you're just shooting from the hip. You know, most organizations consider the market they generally operate in before they just throw a price out there. The strategies that contractors use to get to the right price can be extensive. That is if they're doing a thorough job of preparing their pricing. But while pricing is about the numbers, strategic pricing is not just about the numbers. Strategic pricing for government contracting involves a deliberate set of choices you make to get to the desired price. Strategic pricing really involves management direction, decisions that management makes, and mindful actions you take to rivet your approach to the right price or the price range. The result of what you do for strategic pricing results in the right price for your bid. So to get to the winning price target, you have to do your homework and use a replicatable process one that gives you a rhythm to your strategic pricing and generates success more often than not. But let's remember that typical win rates for small businesses are around 40%. Conversely, that means that 60% of the time, small companies are bidding and not winning. So that's a lot of money to spend on BNP efforts not to win. So you want to get your strategic pricing tempo going wisely to increase that probability, and that includes a lot of homework and early involvement in your your pricing activities. You've said the strategies contractors can use to get to the right price is quite extensive. What are your top three strategies that most contractors do not often consider? Well, I'm laughing because there are literally over two dozen strategies any contractor can and should consider in developing their pricing approach. 
my top three that contractors do not think about to a great degree. I'd have to put number one as impacting G&A rates. Now, some contractors are getting wise to this and they are impacting their G&A rates. That is, they're taking the, uh, the bid that they're going after into account in their business base in changing their existing or provisional G&A rates to accommodate that particular win because they're either going to win it or they're not. The other one that I think is number two is teammates pricing because I often say that your teammates can wreck the price or they can help you get there and win. But you've got a lot of things that you can do with your teammates, not just say, hey, give me your best price. There's a lot of negotiation. There's a lot of um, meeting with them ahead of time. There's a lot of hand-holding that goes on and most importantly, conversation. And my third one is probably incorporating uncompensated overtime into your bids, particularly when you're going after cost plus work so that you can impart a little bit of price downward impact. But you've got to be able to show and demonstrate that you've got the history to prove it. Those are my top three. As I say, there are literally over two dozen that we could talk about. Oh, that's another, I get another day for that. You said if contractors want to get their winning price target, they need to do their homework and use a replicable process. How do they establish a repeatable must-do pricing habit? Without a repeatable process, most contractors just dive into their pricing without a well-designed process and plan, Todd. Most do not win, not because of the price, but because they floundered. A lot of times price is not the deciding factor. So when you set out to structure your pricing strategically, you are thinking well ahead of your competition. And like I said at the, at the beginning of this discussion, you've got a lot of things to consider, management decisions, deliberate actions, that kind of thing. Any ingenious plan is simple but thorough. It's a process that you can replicate no matter what the bid is for or how large it may be. But you need to establish, I don't mean you, but any contractor needs to establish processes for, pre, for the pre-proposal stage, the capture stage, proposal stage as well, and the post-proposal stage, which would be the evaluation and award. A lot of companies, they slap a price on, throw it over the transom, and forget about it. Well, each stage, you need to develop those processes you have to do for, in the pre-proposal stage, for example, obtaining homework data teammate choices, for example, in those early stages. And you've got to work on proposal DOE development and green team reviews in the proposal stage. Those are just two of each of those things that processes that you would do during those stages. And then once you've submitted the audit file preparation, internal pricing reviews in the evaluation and award stage, there's a lot that goes on that's not just throw the pricing together and throw it over at the government. You've got to really do a lot of work. It's not for the faint of heart, shall I say, Todd, you know? Right. You get the proposal out there and then the questions come in. So either from the government evaluators or auditors, what should they do to respond and how will those responses impact them? I say this, first, be sure to field all the questions that pertain to your team. Read them over, make sure that they make sense to you. There may be pricing questions that need to be answered by a team member, not not you as the prime, 
but be sure to review the answers to those questions, always. I often get the comment from contractors when they get those questions. They're not talking about our proposal. They're talking about something else. And let me tell you, having sat in the shoes of an evaluator, those questions are for you. They're, they're not someone else's questions. Don't think that. So make sure you respond to all pricing questions and by just answering the questions asked. Do not feel tempted to embellish the answer with data that is not being asked for. Kind of like when you get asked by an attorney a question, just answer the question. This is the same thing. But you need to answer honestly and completely. You need to assemble your backup documentation before you attempt to respond. Don't answer off the cuff because it's going to show. If the government wants additional information or backup, they'll ask for it. Oftentimes, the new documentation uh, that you come up with may not be necessary or may be requested in the new pricing that the government requests later. The second thing that you should do is your responses should show more about you than the proposal did. In other words, this is your chance to shine. Respond honestly. When you write the response, acknowledge the shortcomings if you have any shortcomings. Maya culpa, we made a mistake. There's an error. We will correct it in the next iteration, something like that. So if you need to build a better documentation, do so. Remember to answer only the questions asked rather than what you think you are being asked. Save any embellishments for another time when you're asked for it. Just the facts. Exactly. This is a dragnet thing. Seems government evaluates prices differently from one bid to the next. What goes on when they evaluate price? The government establishes how they will evaluate price with every bid. It's different. It's never the same. I don't mean never the same, but from one to another, you're going to see something different. The criteria for evaluating price are set out in Section M of each RFP. Hopefully, this audience will read that section and pay attention to it. I'm sure that they already are. So depending upon whether the price is a determining factor or not is important to the evaluation. If price is the determining factor, and we've seen that less these days than in the past, the government may rank each bid lowest to highest and see if the response is technically adequate. I've got one of those right now that I'm working on. They're going to line them up, and the lowest bid is going to get evaluated. If it's evaluated technically adequate, they got a winner, not to go on to the next one. Most of the time, the government is looking for fair and reasonable pricing. The contract type will impact the evaluations, I'll tell you that, because some of the data may also be provided to the responders as plug numbers. And those, of course, are not evaluated. But sometimes we see a great emphasis on the prime contractor's pricing and little on the subcontractor. You just don't know that. That's kind of determined by the contracting officer on each one. Or we sometimes we do see an equal emphasis on all teammates. But you have to be prepared for the equal emphasis on all teammates part of it. You have to have your subcontractors have their act together, shall we say. If it's a FAR 16.5 procurement, then it's uh, an IDIQ contract with supplies or services being offered for a fixed period of time, and the price evaluation is much less rigid. If it's a FAR 15.3 evaluation, where it's a source selection evaluation, the evaluation factors and significant sub-factors are tailored to that acquisition. I always like to tell my audience, make sure you read FAR Part 15.305 on 
proposal evaluation. Go there and read those specifically. For the price, the competition will establish reasonableness if the fixed price is sought. But for a cost reimbursement contract, they probably will do cost realism analysis. Expect more questions and more detail when you see a cost realism evaluation, Todd. So those are kind of my hints. There's so much that goes into an evaluation, Todd, and I've done everything from fixed price evaluations to cost plus, and they can get pretty intricate, pretty intricate. Before we go, Marcia, and let you go for the day, uh, we, we could talk for hours on this. What are what are three key takeaways when we're talking strategic pricing that you want the audience to come away with from our talk? Perfect question, really. I, I have to say this one resounds for me, has been resounding for me for a couple of decades now. I talked about it at APMP in a conference in 1999. That's how long ago that this was hot under my, my bonnet. And that is establish an early pricing involvement. I can't say that enough. Most of the time, the pricing team gets called in too late in the game. If you really want strategy involvement from those people who do it every day, you've got to involve those people early enough in the process, okay? That's critical. That is absolutely critical. The other thing that I can say is that number two top takeaway for me would be if you do nothing else in your strategic pricing moves, and again, you have a lot to choose from, take a look at impacting your GNA. That's got to be the one thing that can allow you to be, how could I say, not using someone else's numbers, using your own numbers for your own company and making a definite impact on the price that will be favorable to you and will not lose you money. And the other thing that I can say is that when you're answering questions from the government, being an auditor, DCA, or, or government uh, price analyst, make sure that you give them complete answers to the questions that you are being asked. If you feel like you need to do additional backup or tell the government that you want to revise something, this would be your time to do that additional backup, but do not give it to them unless they ask for it. Answer only the question that they are asking you. Great advice. Uh, Marsha, as we wrap up, how would all of our listeners uh, who would like to get a hold of you get a hold of you? Really, the best way is by email, which is marsha at graniteleadershipstrategies.com or by phone, 480-513-1132. Email is the best because then I have a chance to ponder the question I'm being asked and probably set up a time to talk about it. And uh, you do have a website, chock full of information. Yep. So uh, it's it's a great place to, to go and find out a little more about you and your your services as well. It's been a pleasure, Marsha. Uh, we're out of time, but thank you again. And for our audience, as always, if you have topics you want to cover in a podcast, please send me a note at Todd at FedPubSeminars.com. Until next time, stay safe, keep your distance, and read the forest.